Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms held wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on the 23rd of September, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome for those of you just tuning in. All right. One little um, interesting, fun, good news headline before, of course, we turn to those that are more disturbing. All right. Maybe two. Maybe two good news headlines before we turn to those that are a little more disturbing. Um, We're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on all that is going on in the world today, because after all, every square inch of it belongs to him, which means every issue is an issue related to our faith. And um, and you and I, as as fellow believers, are um, here as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. And so speaking into and leaning into really every concern. So the chess world, what's going on in the chess world? I know this is not something you've thought about recently or even thought about thinking about, but here you go. Hans Niemann is a relatively low-ranked 19-year-old grandmaster. He defeated Magnus Carlsen two weeks ago. Carlsen, the highest-ranked player of all time, suggested in a cryptic tweet that Hans had cheated. And so in a rematch this week, uh, Carlsen resigned after one move in apparent protest further fanning the flames of controversy in the chess world. Dun, dun, dun! I know, <laughs> because we talk so much about what's going on online, and it's important to talk about what's going on like in real life. And in real life, there is controversy in the world of chess, because there's controversy everywhere now. So there you go. Um, not all superheroes wear capes. You have, um, you have, seen, you have seen that T-shirt on dads everywhere. Um, some superheroes do wear capes. And so this is an article that the AP, uh, the Associated Press, has out right now. Actor Anthony Mackie is not carrying his Captain America shield nor wearing his cape in his return to his hometown of New Orleans where he is helping to repair hurricane-damaged roofs for people in his old neighborhood. So this is kind of cool. Just a cool good news story. Um, And he says this, Hey, I... uh, I know what people in this neighborhood go through because I was born in this neighborhood and I grew up here. It is important to me to bring back the gifts and blessings that I have received outside the city. And that quote just reminded me um, that we are intended by God to be conduits of blessing, to pass along to others the gifts and blessings that we have received, and um, to always pray for and work for the welfare of the city. And so just appreciated that Um, headline this morning and thought I would bring it to you as a good news story of the day. Now, turning to a slightly more disturbing, in fact, incredibly much more disturbing um, headline, this one out of out of California, but actually um, of national consequence. So uh, Senator Gavin Newsom of um, of California is spending millions of dollars out of his reelection war chest now, again, he's technically you know, running to be reelected as the governor of California, but I think we can all see what's going on here. 
He has a national billboard campaign promoting abortion services um, that people who live in conservative states would come and access in California. So uh, Governor Gavin Newsom is posting on social media billboards that are set to go up in Texas, Oklahoma, and Mississippi, and four other what he describes as, quote, anti-freedom states. Um, And some of them cite Bible verses uh, in support of uh, of abortion, or that's at least the way he is um, seeking to advertise abortion services in California to people living in states where um, abortions are now being restricted following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So it's things like these billboards say things like need an abortion. California is ready to help. Well, it's it's not actually California that's ready to help. It's Governor Newsom who's ready to help. The money is not uh, coming from California. The the, the money is coming from a a campaign war chest. You should know that when you see these. So um, one of the billboards uh, partially quotes Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Now, you will recognize that because that has recently been one of our Growing Your Faith verses of the day. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it mean um, to understand the first and the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then the second, which is likened unto it, to love our neighbor as ourself? Which commandment is most important of all? Um, Well, that's the most important would be from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, the Shema, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus says, hey, the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, the, uh, the billboard um, that is using this partial sentence of Scripture seems to fail to recognize that the neighbor closest to us I mean, if you're a pregnant woman, the neighbor closest to you who you are called to love is the child in the womb. Like, I don't even know how you use a passage of Scripture in this way and not, not immediately see, like, the, the problem with doing so. Um, so there you go. That's one disturbing headline in terms of what's going on. But, you know, there's always disturbing headlines out of California. So we'll talk about more of those with Adam Holtz as we turn to um, some things in media news today. Um, There's a new atheist podcast network launching in California as well. Yeah, that's up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. is back from Focus on the Families, plugged in. Hello, good sir. Good morning, Carmen. All right. um, I want to lead off with a couple of things going off in California um, because there seems to be like a constellation of things occurring simultaneously. Um, So just read us in on the, uh, as the religious nuns rise, N-O-N-E-S, so do podcasts related to the concerns of the nuns. Uh, First of all, what is a podcast network and what does it mean for there to be a new atheist podcast network? Is that anything like, you know, a Christian podcast network, like Wow God? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much the same thing. A podcast network is just, you know, an organization or a media outlet that is wanting to gather similarly themed uh, but different podcasts under 
its banner. Like Focus on the Family, for instance, has a number of different podcasts, and we're you know looking to launch a number of new ones. So that would be an example. And in this case, we have a podcast network. Um, it is called Atheists United Studios, which is actually kind of hard to say, that um, are, you know, having conversations among and with people who, for whatever reason, say that they don't believe in God anymore, or maybe they never did in the first place, and what are their experiences like. And I think that's the thing with podcasts is you get a personal sort of angle. You Typically, podcasts are not just hard news, but it's people talking about their experiences. And so um, Evan Clark, who's the executive director for Atheist United, says that he wants to create a space for people who um, you know, aren't into the God thing to be able to have conversations. And, and frankly, um, whatever your niche interest is, there's probably a podcast network creating content for you somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so. So I just, I like for people to be aware of what's going on in the world on the media front. And this seems like a good, it seems like a good opportunity to sort of explain what a podcast network is and what's going on out there. Um, I think the bigger the, the bigger story here, though, I think is just the growing number, especially of millennials and Gen Z, who either say that they have no religious affiliation at all, um, or you know, are, are not interested in church at all. And so, I think I think that's in some ways the bigger story is that we are seeing growing percentages of younger people sort of rejecting a traditional understanding of, uh, you know spirituality. And, and by that, I mean the Judeo-Christian tradition that so many of them are sort of de facto raised in, but then don't claim as their own. I mean, a ton of media being produced to reinforce that. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah, Absolutely. They, they have a, they now have a silo to live in together. Yeah, exactly. it's a exactly. challenging. Yep. Um, so speaking of the ways in which major media, um, and in this case, uh, the University of Southern California School for Communication and Journalism, is getting on the side of the abortion movement. Um, apparently, USC announced last month it's going to offer at least three undergraduate students $25,000 to help develop scripts and produce short films about, quote, reproductive rights. And so this is clearly um, an effort to advocate for abortion through filmmaking. Um, yep. This is just like one effort out there where, you know, public universities are leveraging their power to advance abortion. Yeah, you know, here's here's what I think the bigger story is here. I mean, I think it's I'm it's horrifying to me. Um, but while there's multiple bigger stories, I think one is simply the conception of what is freedom uh, and your rights. And you're right to talk about the fact that the neighbor closest to you might be the one in your womb. I loved what you had to say about that a couple of minutes ago. But there was a quote from a philanthropy group Women Moving Millions, which is providing the funds to USC's School for Communications. And uh, this person said, by leveraging the power of entertainment, these students can shape the hearts and minds of their peers and broader audiences in ways that can influence culture and decision making. Mm. Um, and, and I'm reminded of Joe Biden's 2012 quote when he was vice president, I'm going to paraphrase it, where he said, Will and Grace did more to change the minds of American people with regard to homosexuality 
than any other factor in our culture. Uh, and I think that we, we would do well to help our kids recognize and understand how to think about the arguments and the worldviews that these stories are, are creating and telling. Because so often, they do it by disarming us. Comedy hits us when our guard's down because we're laughing, right? How bad could it be? We're having a good joke about it. Um, really emotional stories, if we step back, may have serious rational and spiritual problems, but because they feel good and they tug at our emotions, uh, we can surrender critical thinking. And so Hollywood's always been in that business. This is another example, but it's a reminder that we need to be vigilant in helping our kids and grandkids really learn to think critically about the ideas that entertainment is putting out there. And hey, if you um, if you've been thinking uh, about you know helping to fund or underwrite or crowdsource some good thing like I don't know the chosen, um, get on board and do it because in addition to women moving millions, um, dumping funds into this program at USC, the state of California is prepared to give one point six five billion dollars with a B in film and TV tax credits to draw studios. Um, who are currently producing films in states where there are abortion restrictions. So in addition to advertising um, in in states like, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, and Mississippi um, for abortion tourism to California, California is also offering um, billions of dollars in tax credits for studios to move back to California um, from from places, particularly in uh, in the southeast. So all of that is going on. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz here in just a moment. Apparently, there's something about Star Wars that you and I need to know. The word is Andor. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, bearing witness to my total ignorance of all things Star Wars, uh, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Who or what is Andor? Uh, Andor is the surname of the main character of a new series on Disney+. Plus. His name is Cassian Andor. If you saw the movie Rogue One, he is the primary male lead. And in Rogue One, he plays a really crucial role in helping the rebels get the plans that enable them to destroy the Death Star. This story takes place five years before the events of Rogue One, and it's kind of an origin story about Cassian Andor and um, his sort of semi-shady, semi-heroic existence. Um, I think what's most of note here is that this is being called Star Wars for adults. Now, you know, they don't push it into R-rated territory, but they have definitely amped up the violence, uh, the language, and... Hints of sexuality that we have not typically seen in the Star Wars universe. Um, I mean, Star Wars has been very 
fairy tale-ish, you know, uh, space opera is the genre. Um, but like the first scene of the new series takes place in a brothel, for example, and we don't see mm. anything, but just the mere existence of that, you know, sort of establishment in the narrative tells you from the get go, this is going to be a much grittier thing. And so I think the message here is that don't think just because this is star Wars, that this is automatically appropriate for young fans of the franchise. Although, frankly, that is good counsel for everything, right? Don't automatically assume anything about anything, but do your homework on it because, you know, values shift and content shifts. And we're certainly seeing that here. It's getting critical raves. It's really well done. Uh, it's also, it's definitely grittier. I would call it much more in the PG-13 territory than we've seen before. All right, talk with us about um, Railway Children. And for this full review, you can go to PluggedIn.com. Uh, this is a new movie in theaters. It's set in 1944 in wartime Great Britain. And it's about three teens who uh, escape the bombing uh, in the cities there to the countryside, if that sounds a lot like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It kind of is, but it's, this is not a magical story. Um, these three teens eventually come into contact with a young American soldier who has an injury, says he's on a secret mission, and it's kind of sussing out exactly what's going on with his story. Uh, so it's very much an adventure, mystery kind of theme. It feels a lot like the Disney movies we grew up with in the 60s and 70s. Well, some of us. Um, and uh, it's got just a smattering of profanity and, and some suggestions of the kind of violence that took place in World War II. But very much a PG movie, and certainly by 2022 standards, uh, this is about as clean as it comes in that category these days. All right, next, let's talk about Leanne Rhymes. Um, you know, every single one of us is on a discipleship journey, uh, and sometimes those journeys are circuitous, and sometimes, you know, somebody is just walking the straight and narrow the whole way. Talk with us about Leanne Rhymes and her new album, God Work. Well, Leanne Rhymes grew up in the church, grew up Southern Baptist, and grew up initially with, um, I, I think, a faith orientation, and then kind of publicly drifted away from that, both in terms of what she said about it and, and some of her lifestyle choices. Uh, and now she's really coming back to the importance of God. And she says, quote, I ran from the word of God for a long time. I was raised Southern Baptist. And my frustration was we're brought up with these messages of love, acceptance, community, and forgiveness, but no one's living them to the fullness, fullest. And then she says, God can mean different things to different people. To me, it inserts the word love, the word creation. I saw somewhere that people were saying it's called God's work. So this is a religious record. It's whatever it is to you. So Plugged In hasn't reviewed this record, although I or this album, although I, I would like to get our hands on it fairly soon. Uh, I mean, it sounds like she's, I think, saying some good things about spirituality. There are some things that um, kind of make me think, okay, is this a syncretistic kind mm -hmm. of expression of faith? Is it all grace and no truth? Because I think when people only want to emphasize love and forgiveness and acceptance, those are sort of, you know, code words for not being against anything LGBT or, you know, in that neck of the woods. Now, I'm making all kinds of assumptions here, but that's my immediate response to her quotes. And yet I'm, I'm glad that she sees it as important and she wants to talk about this 
this part of her journey. Great opportunity to do things like um, Kara Powell always encourages us to do, which is to, you know, listen to something together with a younger person and ask them, you know, what do you hear in there that that you resonate with? Or are there ideas there that you want to talk about, questions that that might raise? And then also, like with our own kids, just to say, hey, you know, I've been pretty clear about what I believe. Are there things that you know I believe that you don't believe? Or are there things that you believe that you wonder whether or not I believe? Like, maybe we could talk about those things. Um, So just, yeah, you know, opening up a platform of conversation um, with the next generation. Hey, um, hey, uh, in, you know, top line it for us. Um, This is looks like I haven't read it yet, but a great blog at PluggedIn.com, POTS Potential Problems for Kids and Young Adults. Yeah, POT is enormously more potent it was 20 or 30 years ago and now with the legalization i believe in 19 states and medical marijuana legal in 37 states kids access to it uh is greater than ever before but there are clear problems in terms of psychosis in terms of developmental problems and and kind of permanent impairment and so experts are really raising the alarm that pot's not just a harmless joke which is often how our popular culture treats it. You know, it's, it's, you know, setting up a munchies joke, let's go get some Cheetos. But marijuana and marijuana lace products are, are no joke at all. And they're very, very dangerous, potentially, and especially to younger people who are using them. And because Carmen can't read, it's pots potent problems for kids and young adults, not yes. potential problems. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, it's I, I get. I turned. Time. I turned my. I turned my brain on there in the middle of the conversation. Um, Adam, right. as always, thank you so very much. You guys can find the blog, Pots Potent Problems for Kids and Young Adults. Tons of great reviews. Help um, on knowing, you know, what's even going on on YouTube, which you know you're not watching, and so you ought to be knowing what's happening there as well. <laughs> All kinds of great stuff for you at PluggedIn.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. Yesterday, um, we talked about the the need to re-evangelize America. We, we talked about the He Gets Us campaign. We asked the question, how did the greatest love story of all times become perceived as a hate group? We've been talking about the rise of the nuns, uh, Christians deconstructing in public and seeking to draw others into um, their new understanding of a godless reality or at least a Christless Christianity. Um, We have talked with Dean and Sarah about the unsaved Christian. We have talked about um, the need for the reconversion of the church. We've talked about um, the need for every Christian to have a renewed commitment to the Word of God, that the Word of God might have its rightful place in our lives, that the church might be renewed and take her rightful place in the life of the culture. But the culture in the midst of all of that has been um, reinforcing and and actually building up new defenses against the evangelization of her people. Like culture itself is now being strengthened or or building walls against evangelism. We're going to talk with Jim Morgan, president of Meet the Need, about seven things that are going on in the culture 
um, that are actually working against the Christian's ability to evangelize our neighbors. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. My All right, joining us now, Jim Morgan, president of Meet the Need. You can find what we're talking about today at meettheneed.org. Jim, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right, so we as Christians in the culture today recognize both the need for evangelism and the challenges or barriers we face in the culture. But you have um, done a really nice job helping us see like sort of the bricks in the wall. Um, So can you talk with us about um, the challenges that we face that are, I mean, they're actually like now structural challenges in the culture, um, which make it hard for us to share the gospel? Yeah, you know, trying to remove you know, hundreds of years of kind of Christian influence and heritage, you know, from our country is is no small task. And you know, it's almost become uh, systematic in the way uh, secular humanists have devised a plan to build these pillars uh, to support a fortress to prevent uh, evangelism from being, uh, you know, and, and one day maybe even being, uh, you know, okay to do, maybe even a, a plan to, to ban evangelism. You know, it's built on these these concepts of, you know, first of all, and this is not without precedent, of course. I mean, this is you see this in countries uh, where there's communism and other religions that eventually, you know, do end up, you know, banning evangelism. And um, but it begins with kind of initially protecting people from evangelism and then it's prevention you know, of evangelism and eventually persecution for evangelism. That's the process that it typically goes through. And we we're already seeing signs that there's some hints in America of this is where we're already heading toward the protection and prevention. And maybe one day it'll be persecution. So let's talk with that, um, about um, seven of what I'll just describe as kind of the bricks in the wall. You talk about no offense, no sin, no conscience, no consequences, no identity, no religion, no truth. Um, let's walk through these. Um, what, what does it what does it mean, and what does it look like for us to live in an era and a time when words don't mean what they've always meant? Um, and two of those really important important words would be love and and um, and tolerance. Yeah, and to tee up uh, the fortress, the pillars that that are being this is being built upon, you know, is protect, prevent, and persecute eventually. You know, this this no offense and no sin you mentioned there, you know, those are the external factors. That's trying to keep Christians at bay. That's trying to villainize Christians um, and, and to position non-believers as victims of Christians historically and and present. And then you've got these internal issues and these gaps. We'll talk about all these these kind of there are categories that the first issue is you got to deal with the external. So the Christians, how do you keep Christians at bay? Well, first of all, you say that there's, you know, no offense permitted, you know, no offenses allowed. And when I, when you say that, you mentioned those those two words that have uh, have kind of been redefined. You know, one of those is love. That love becomes uh, because in the sense of no offense, that love is causing or, or it's not loving to cause anybody offense or discomfort. 
And so you're you're protecting back to that word again, kind of protecting people from non-believers from the, the gospel, from evangelism by saying that, uh, you know, no one should make anybody else uncomfortable. And, and along with that, kind of in line with that, they redefined the word, you know, tolerance was supposed to mean kind of the willingness to hear from and entertain alternative viewpoints. And, and now it kind of means intolerance means belief in any kind of moral absolutes that you become judgmental and intolerant if you have any sense of moral absolutes, which of course Christians by definition have. So that kind of helps to silence our voices in the public square. Yeah, and silencing the voice of the Christian in the public square, um, I think has is evident. And a lot of people are silent because they, um, you know, they're they're back on their heels. They um, they don't they don't want to be offensive. They don't want to offend. Um, and yet the gospel itself is an offense. I mean, it, it, it squares us up. I mean, that is, that is what the gospel does. We come into, um, our sin is brought into view and we come to a point of decision where, you know, we have to deal with that. Well, unless of course, your next point, there is no sin. Well, yeah, that is the next kind of pillar of, this fortress that that protects and, and prevents and one day persecutes is that, you know, if there's basically you eliminate the need for Jesus. If there is no sin, then there's no value in forgiveness. You know, there's no sin debt to pay. So, you know, why should we even feel any remorse or guilt? You know, there is nothing wrong. We invent, uh, as we'll get to eventually, you know, your own truth. And so you know, if there's no bad news, how can there be any, any good news, which is the gospel? Um, and even sin, if you even mention it now, it's almost viewed as exploitation. They, they cite things in the past that Christians have done to, to, you know, supposedly, and maybe in some cases reality, you know, kind of suppress or, or, you know, oppress or things like that. And so they say that any mention of sin, any talk about somebody else's wrongdoing, you know, is, is basically exploitation, you know, some form of that. And so we, again, this is the, you know, these are external factors to keep Christians at bay. So you've got to uh, position Christians as being, you know, intolerant and, and hateful. Um, and then you've got to say that they're exploitive. If they even reference sin, it's hard to preach the gospel without uh, referencing sin at some point. Yeah. And then once um, once sin is gone, right, there is... Uh, nothing to um, prevent me from doing whatever is right in my own eyes, because whatever is right in my own eyes is right. Talk about um, the uh, the effect here on the conscience. Yeah, there's still a problem, right? If you if you get rid of offense and you say that sin is taboo, you can't talk about that. Then you know there's still an internal couple of internal problems. <laughs> you know, people still have uh, a conscience, a God given conscience, and they're you know some level aware of, of what um, they're doing and that it's not right. Um, and then there's this, you know, also the, we'll get to it, you know, consequences. There's also this internal, these two internal issues. Once you've dealt with the external Christians, you now have these internal problems of conscience and of, um, you know, consequences, fear of death and, and hell and things like that. So, you know, on the conscience side, you know, we have to kind of deprogram conscience and it takes a while to do that because it's pretty, pretty strong, but um, you know, God made it that way. But you know, if you encourage people to sin enough, you know, you become desensitized at some point to the things that you're, that you're doing wrong. 
And then you also position, you know, guilt as some kind of an arcane, you know, conception of Christians used to manipulate people and to oppress, you know, people. And then you then you go a step further, which is what I write a lot of, a lot about is um, is you claim that human nature is in, inherently good, and that you know basically God is bad, you know, if there's a God at all, and that mankind is good, and anybody who says that they're not is is really the problem in society, and um, so no one has any reason to feel guilt or a conscience because they can invent their own you know moral code their own truth and and um yeah there's no reason to feel conscious just a conception of christians Mm. all right we're talking with jim morgan we're working our way through um a, a series of pillars that uh that taken together um really do provide a a helpful understanding of this fortress against which um, we as Christians uh, have to have to pass in order to evangelize the culture of our day. Um, so, so let's move from um, conscience and consequences to to the identity conversation because I do think that for a lot of people, this this is where um, much of the current conversation um, cycles through and circulates. So, help us understand you know, uh, where we are in terms of stripping people of their real identity and how that leaves us, I mean, just, it leaves us so lost, but it also leaves people right. very, very vulnerable for the world to tell them who they are. Oh, okay. Now Paul's going to say we got to take a very, very brief break. So let's do that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about identity. We're talking with Jim Morgan, president of Meet the Need. You can find what we're talking about and and several other related articles at meettheneed.org. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. All right, we're talking with Jim Morgan. He is president of Meet the Need. You're going to want to find his blog on the Meet the Need website, which is going to be meettheneed.org forward slash blog. That is uh, where you'll find this series of articles that we're talking about today. Um, highlighting right now America's seven-step plan to ban evangelism, but related to it, the front lines of the battle for America's future and is America moving forward or backward? You're going to want to read them all. All right, Jim, um, we are working our way through these, you know, seven pillars that are a part of this impenetrable or insurmountable wall uh, that the culture is seeking to build against evangelism. Um, so talk with us about identity. Yeah, so, you know, this is interesting because if you get through the external and internal issues, if secular humanism kind of deals with those and and kind of knocks down, you know, those walls. So we basically have rid society of any offense, any sin, any conscience, any consequences. You know, oops, there's a problem because now we have an identity crisis. You know, now who are we? We're no longer children of God as we're supposed to be. You're children of a loving father. You know, now who are we? Because we've stripped away all these other kind of uh, convent, you know, the, the aspects of Christianity that talk about, you know, who we are with respect to the Lord, who we're supposed to be, you know, children of. And so with no father, now we're spiritual orphans. 
know, devoid of purpose, devoid of meaning, you know, now what do you do? And so you've got to, to fill that gap. This is about gaps now, because we have these gaps because of external and internal factors have already been, you know, done away with. So now you have, you have to invent these fake IDs, you know, these alternative identifiers for who we are, because we're not children of God now. So, you know, there's, there is gender, uh, there's sexuality, there's um, political party, there's other affiliations, you know, there's anybody who is willing to accept us because I guess with Christians, you know, saying that there is our standards and there are rules and there are, you know, God does have, have laws for ways we should live. You know, they have to find acceptance somewhere else because, you know, there's, they don't have that identity um, anymore, you know, as the children of God. So they, they look for anybody who's willing to accept them for exactly who they are, a sense of belonging. You know, it can be a cause a special interest, you know, anything to attach themselves to, to feel like they, they belong to something and they're accepted because they don't feel accepted now. Cause again, there's no offense, there's no offense, there's no sin, there's no conscience, there's no consequences that were lost. All right. So I think that when we think about the ways in which people would have answered these questions in the past, um, religion would be the primary answer to the meaning, belonging and purpose questions, which are all of the questions raised in in all of this, particularly the identity question. Um, And so the next step or the next pillar must be stripping culture of everything and anything religious. And this is where, you know, initially this sounds like, you know, how in the world can we ban advancement here in America? That's the, how is that really possible? Of course, there is precedent in many, many countries around the world. It doesn't take long to understand that. I'm on the board of some persecuted Christian, you know, ministries that are seeing this, you know, every day. But, you know, eventually, yeah, this is kind of where you get to when you move from uh, protection of people from religion, you know, to prevention of evangelism, you know, to um, to persecution. So, but yeah, eventually, you know, you end up in a situation where, you know, bringing up religion, the mere mention of it, you know, is no longer socially acceptable. You know, it's taboo. Evangelism is is taboo and, and receptivity, you know, to it plummets. plummets. And, and because of that, too, you see that, that people, it's even tougher to evangelize because in our culture today and in this next generation, you mentioned a couple of blog posts I've also written about, you know, the next steps with the next generation you know, people, our, our children know less and less about the Bible. They're less churched. And so it's even tougher to start the conversations about evangelism. As soon as you do, you know, somebody brings up politics because somehow they conflate the two. If you're bringing up, you know, Christianity and religion, all of a sudden you're talking about politics. And of course, politics is also taboo in a lot of circles and you can't, you know, talk about that. So it's it's becoming more and more challenging from a knowledge-based standpoint of Christianity to get the conversation going. And then, of course, if you do bring it up, you know, you're somehow, you know, vilified or, or out of place and, and uh, socially uh, uncouth to, uh, to be talking about it. Yeah, I think that um, both the conflation of religion with politics, but then also um, the assumption that if I'm talking about religion, I'm talking about your personal morality, which gets back then to hey, you can't talk about that because, you know, that's offensive to me because I don't regard what you're talking about as sin um, because my conscience has been stripped stripped bare. I have, my, my conscience has been disconnected um, through a process of desensitization and a process um, through which the consequences of my sin have been papered over um, in the culture of which I am a part. Like it, it, 
it's a mess. This is a mess. Okay, we often start this conversation where you actually conclude it. I I have had this conversation in the past and started with um, the denial of truth, right? The 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 place where we have arrived where objective truth is denied. Um, but you end here. You say that the final, that it, you know, finally to guarantee no evangelism, um, declare the truth either doesn't exist or whatever the government or each person decides that it is. Talk with us about the truth. Well, and we, that's a point to debate. I think that's a, that's a fair point that you could start with that as well. The postmodernist you know, perspective, of course, is that, that there is no truth. Um, but to me, it's, you know, these other pillars have already been built, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the no offense and the no sin and no conscience. And you can see these things, how they've already been built, those pillars. And this is, I kind of call it the, you know, the final nail in the coffin, mm-hmm. or it's the, you know, it's the last resort. If nothing else is going to work, then of course you just declare, you know, throw your hands up and say that there is no truth. And this is what we see with, you know, we've kind of this informal church that's kind of evolved around the blog each each week that you know seven years of writing the blog and and there's this group of people you know christians and atheists who show up uh, every week on social media to debate these topics and you know what they're demanding most of the atheists and secular humanists are demanding is you know proof and, and evidence you know of god's existence and they you know their version of truth their worldview is so ingrained that without visible evidence they're not going to not going to back off of that. But they've already been conditioned for years, you know, around this no offense, no sin, you know, no conscience, you know, no religion. They, they've been here there for a long time. So for me, it's it's almost like now this is made is made the fortress absolutely impenetrable because there's nowhere to go if, you know, their truth is ironclad. And there's no, which is why the other article is so important about the battleground, you know, for the future of America, that youth are still impressionable. They're still, you can still kind of get through to youth. These people, you know, a lot of these folks that have been around this whole process of the external, internal, you know, and gaps, you know, they get to this point here and they're set, you know, they're, they're so hard to move, right? But youth, there's still some room. College professors and things like that can can still get through to, to youth and convince them that, you know, their uh, their version of truth, whatever they're being sold, is somehow you know more viable than uh, than scripture. Yeah, the um, the power of a personal relationship with a young person is exact is in fact um, yeah. the the one place that um, we can securely stand and make progress. Um, toward not only evangelism, but importantly, discipleship um, in the generations going forward. All right. I want everybody to read not only um, what we have talked about today, but the next two um, blogs, The Front Lines of the Battle for America's Future, and and this week's um, post is America Moving Forward or Backward. All of them by um, by our friend at Meet the Need. His name is Jim Morgan, and you can find the blog at meettheneed.org forward slash blog, or it'll be in my show notes today at MyFaithRadio.com. Jim, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, the Friday Farm Report. Sorry, sorry, I left that out. We are processing elk, and there's a lot of it. There you go. That's uh, And you shouldn't pour the water from the cooler in the bushes, or the dogs will roll in it, and that is disgusting. There you go. That's the Friday Farm Report. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.